Blog Talk Radio. Coming to you since 1997 on KKUP Radio with over 250 guests and still going strong in their 12th year of weekly broadcasting, the International Taz and Paula Show brings to you expansive, engaging, and groundbreaking intensity on radio and now on the Internet airwaves today. Listen live every Thursday or visit Embracing Mother Earth's archives, exclusive articles, ask questions, and receive actual answers from guests anytime at TazAndPaulaShow.com. Taz and Paula's special guests are experts coming from all walks of life, energizing our lives with a passion that inspires and teaches us with each of their compelling personal life journeys, with roots from ancient wisdom and bridging it with modern science. We hope today's show touches the wisdom of your heart. And now, Taz and Paula. Well, good morning, everyone. Our guest today, Michelle Gielen, is an expert in positive psychology, the science of happiness and human potential. She is the author of Create a Happier Life e-course and regularly speaks to executives at Fortune 500 companies about the power of positive communication. And Michelle is a partner at GoodThink Incorporated with Sean Aker. And you are now listening to the International Taz and Paula Show, and I'm Paula. And I'm Taz. Excuse me. I just know our glass is going to be full today to the brim by the end of our show with ways to support and nourish our development and positive thinking. Um, let me share a little more here about Michelle Guilin. She appears on morning news programs, including Fox News Chicago, as a health and wellness contributor. Michelle is also a regular contributor for Psychology Today, and she is a former national anchor at CBS News, where she anchored two of the network's newscasts and was a correspondent for the early show. And in 200, uh, see, 2009, after seeing one news report after another on how the recession was crippling people emotionally, Michelle produced Happy Week. Wow, what a show, huh? Happy Week. At CBS News, a series focusing on fostering happiness in relationships, the workplace, and at home during tough economic times. Michelle also holds an advanced degree from the University of Pennsylvania in positive psychology and is a senior fellow at the Institute for Applied Positive Research. She has graduated cum laude in computer engineering. Well, we're really happy to have Michelle with us today. Welcome, Michelle. Oh, thank you for having me here. I'm thrilled to be on the program with you. Wow. Well, what led what you to you? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> I was going to say, what led you in this direction to want to support others learning how to be positive? Oh, well, um, it's always been a sideline life passion of mine. But I never thought about fully making it a career until I started uh, delving into the science of happiness, the research behind it, and saw that there was this burgeoning field of positive psychology. Um, I was, as you mentioned, I was at CBS News. I was anchoring two national news programs there and also reporting for the early show. And the job was amazing. I got to meet and interview all these amazing newsmakers, celebrities, politicians, 
and just stay at the forefront of everything going on in this country and around the world. Uh, but then the recession hit, and the tone completely changed, understandably so. We, as like every other news organization, started airing one story after another about the effect that the recession was having, having on this country and how and the emotional result that was coming out of it. And I thought, you know, let me see if there's something I can do to give people the tools while we're in the midst of this to handle it, to cope better. So we're not just looking at the, the effects of the recession, but we're looking at ways to deal with it. And so we launched Happy Week, and I met these amazing speakers and authors uh, over the course of the week. We dedicated a week of interviews just to the topic of happiness um, and you know how to deal with toxic colleagues in your workplace because, gosh, haven't we all <laughs> dealt with that? I mean, the guy at the water cooler who just will not stop complaining. Um, or what do you do if you're dealing with financial stress at home and it's affecting your marriage? How do you raise happy, resilient kids in the midst of the recession when they're seeing all this stuff happening? Um, And so I I got completely turned on to all this material, and I love that there's a science behind it, that there's research backing up um, the strategies that that our experts had suggested, and so I went back to get my master's in it, and it's been, it it was the right choice. Well, Chas and I always talked about uh, you know how the news can bring us down, and and always thought it'd be nice to have a weekly program at least uh, for positive and happy things. So you did the step in the right direction. You did uh, one full week, but too bad it couldn't be weekly from here on out. I know I would love that. I, would, I mean, you seem to have it here, so you know it can be done. Um, and I think there's definitely on um, industry wide, there's so much more room for that kind of positive programming, and we do see some examples of it that are doing so well, people respond to it, they like it. And it's not only just in interview-style shows, but in um, when we see extreme home makeover and um, all kinds of stories where people go overseas and they do charity work. Those kind of things resonate with people, and I really believe that people want to see more of that. Well, that's what made Oprah so popular, because her theme was, uh, you know, positive theme and how to get insight. So, I mean... People are just uh, swarming to hear all of this. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was just wondering, was your teacher in love with you because you were so happy as a kid? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, when I was at the University of Pennsylvania, I got to study with Martin Seligman, who is the founder of positive psychology. They call him the father of, of positive psychology. And, um, and it was such a thrill to be alongside him. Um, because you would think that he's this, because of what he does, he's this sort of happy-go-lucky kind of guy. And when you start talking to him, he, he's a self-professed grump, and it's hysterical. <laughs> um, so uh, he said that he tells a story of how when he was with his five-year-old daughter gardening out in the, in the garden, she said, you know, I, I, I don't remember exactly, but something to the effect of, you know, if I can decide one day to stop whining and complaining, I think so can you. So maybe you should think about it. <laughs> the five-year-old said that? Yeah. Is it, I mean, obviously he did a great job raising her up to that point because she's so <laughs> insightful and intuitive. <laughs> um, and, and that being said, he's like this brilliant, brilliant man who tries to, you know, practice what he preaches. So we all do. Well, I know. Well, we we uh, saw Wayne Dyer in uh, person 
about a week ago, and he had a similar story about his daughter. He said he was yelling at his daughter to hurry up, get ready. He's running behind. And she said, so, Mr. Positive, if you only, <laughs> only uh, your uh, book readers could see you now. <laughs> so. <laughs> so we all have a grumpy side. Yes, definitely we're not perfect, which is, I guess, <laughs> part of the fun, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, you so know, what, actually, right now, it's really, you know, it, it's people are really struggling at this point in time, keeping their heads above water and everything. And, you know, um, I guess learning to scan what's out there so that we can really help ourselves look at look at a positive mode and maybe to bring in, you know, those things that we would really like to have in our lives and uh, for our families and and um just you know it supporting supporting people finding those little trigger points how do we do that michelle yeah i think you're so right i think what we're finding in the research is that our brains have a limited amount of resources in any given moment i know we like to think we're you know we have the biggest brain on the planet um, but we actually only have a certain amount of resources, and all that the way we create our reality revolves around the decisions that we make about where we put our attention. So if we're focused on the hassles, stresses, complaints of life, guess what? That's going to be our reality. If we want to create a reality that is full of possibility and abundance, good things for our family, good things for the world around us, we need to put our brain in that space. Um, I find it so amazing with news. I, you know, I was fascinated with why people were attracted on some level to the negative news. So I started looking at it from a research perspective, and we find that when something is happening in our environment that we perceive as a threat, a small part of our brain, the amygdala, fires off, and it goes, takes our brain into fight or flight. We have to quickly decide what we're going to do, and cortisol dropped into our system, adrenaline dropped into our system, and we're ready to fight or flight. That is great if there's a saber-toothed tiger coming at us to try to, you know, eat us, but it's it's not so useful when we're in an office environment, for instance, and we hear potentially threatening news, but we don't even really know if it is or not, and we really need to be focusing on the project that's due in an hour. So I, we started to look at the other side of the coin. How, what, what is the other side of the brain that helps us be the thinker, do really good problem solving, envision these wonderful realities, and, and know the steps that we need to take to get there? We call that in our work the thinker. And the thinker has a certain amount of resources. When the, when the amygdala fires off, it steals resources from the thinker. And so we literally don't have enough brain left over to think through the problems at the highest of our potential. So when we put our brain in a positive mindset, we see that every educational and business outcome rises. I mean, I'm floored by this research. We see that doctors whose brains have been set to positive, when they're looking through charts to come up with the correct diagnosis, they do so 19% faster and more accurately than if their brains were not. We see optimistic salespeople outsell their pessimistic counterparts by 37%. I mean, think about that. If you have a whole sales force at your company doing those kind of numbers, that's millions and millions of dollars at the end of the year. Um, even children, children whose brains have been set to positive, so 
we just ask them, hey, you know, think of a happy memory, maybe the jello that you ate at lunch, something so simple, they'll put together blocks 50% faster than the kids at negative or neutral. So it, it even impacts spatial memory. That alone can change our reality and, and you know, change the future that we create. Well, I know even when, you know, when in college or, or even kids in grammar school, uh, when you're worried about the test, I mean, that's all you're thinking about is how worried you are, and you get so tense that you don't do well on the test. Yeah, exactly. But then we remember but, song lyrics from three decades ago because we were having fun when we yeah. were singing them, you know? I know, and you're driving down the street and uh, a song would come on and it just pops up a really nice memory. So do you work with both uh, children and corporations, or how wide of a spectrum do you work with? Uh, I focus on work with um, with Fortune 500 companies. I've spoken to a lot of hospitals and worked with them. And also, um, whenever I get requests that we can make it work um, with uh, with schools, you know, I get out there. So I'm going to speak to a couple schools in Chicago in, in a few months. And I I love the work with parents and teachers and and students because they're, they're our next generation. You know, they're the people that we want. I'm I'm passionate about investing in right now. Um, and a lot of what I talk to all of these groups about is um, looking at our internal communication patterns. I focus because of my background in with media and then the positive psychology degree. I basically combine them to look at what are our communication patterns in in our minds and then what are we broadcasting out to other people and to look at how resilient, optimistic, and positive those are. We've seen in in the research that optimism is one of the key predictors of happiness and success in life. That we if we if I know everything about you, how much money you make, if you tell me where you live, what kind of house you live in, do you have kids, are you married, everything, what kind of car you drive, I can only predict 10% of your long-term happiness. The other 90% has to do with how we process the world. And so, and that the processing of the world is within our own minds. So we work with executives, students, teachers on changing those internal thought patterns, the habits of thought, to make them more optimistic, resilient, and positive. It's part of that awareness, I mean, because we go on automatic pilot when we're thinking. So as part of your teaching, being aware of your thoughts and correcting them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I believe that awareness is the first step. It's the key. Because a lot of the times these things are happening under the surface and we don't even know that they're going on. Um, we couldn't think about every single thought um, how do, how do I say it's like freshly? We can't freshly think about you know reprocess every single new thought that we have in our brain. We just don't have the resources to do that, so we create the, these heuristics, these shortcuts. So I know that when I see a little white dog, I love it, right? I don't have to reassess whether or not I love little white dogs. Um, but if but some of those heuristics work for us, some of them work against us. So what we look at uh, is the the heuristics that are not serving us, are not helping us move forward the ones that fire up when we feel fear about uh, um, accomplishing a goal or moving forward. Um, that's that's really the focus of, of what we do. How do you look at something when you um, 
I, I was going to say, you know, when people are instantaneously in a situation and they their first um, um, feeling might be like they're on the defense. So, do you give any advice to people when they when they can feel this kind of energy in their body that that so they can supersede this? When they feel like they're on the defense with people? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, when we are flooded with um, feelings like that, oftentimes we're in a stress state, and so the, the cortisol goes flowing through our system, and sometimes it can be really hard to clear our heads in those moments. I know I've experienced it. And um, I, I think a, a really good thing to do is to, if we see patterns in our life, like, for instance, someone particular at the office just knows how to push our buttons and trigger us. It, what's best is to think of solutions to of how to handle that person or how to handle similar situations like that in the downtime when we're not right there and faced with it. Um, but I think one thing is very interesting. There's some research from these brilliant scientists that look at, at relationships, um, the Gottmans, and they uh, they found that Men, in the, in the height of a fight, it's mostly men, but women will do this too, but men will stonewall. They'll cross their arms and they'll sit there if they're fighting with their wife and just not answer. Uh, and, and so at first they didn't understand what was going on there. They thought, well, that's, it's like these guys shut down. And when they hooked up some mechanisms to look at their heart rate and their brain waves and everything, they found that, um, that the men's heart rate would spike and then slowly start to come down. And they asked him, what were you thinking in those moments? And the guy said, well, I was actually just thinking, don't speak, don't speak, you're going to make it worse, let's just calm down, calm down, calm down. And their their internal dialogue was just about calming themselves down. So that was their, their strategy. But I think sometimes we can have strategies in the moment that just don't work, and then we just we need to step back, reassess, and figure out what the best one would be. Well, body language... Uh also is involved in this because uh, when you, when you say crossing your arms to me that's like a defense mechanism. Yeah. So do um, you yeah, talk about? Go ahead. Okay. I, I I saw something great the other day um, on Oprah. She had talked with um, Tony Robbins and she did this whole series on him. And there was one part in his live. Um, presentation where he said to the audience members, okay, so I want you to pair up, and now I want you to greet the other person like you really just don't care for them. There's someone you haven't seen for a while, but you really just don't want to see them. And you see everyone, of course, looking to the side, not really interested. And then, okay, now I want you to greet everyone as if they're your long-lost lover or friend. Go. And the energy in the room changed. Everyone was completely different. And what was most stark about that was the difference in body language because they really weren't saying that much in those 15 seconds, but it was the body language that changed everything. Wow. So when so, when you're... Again, it's your ahead. brain. <laughs> I was going to say, again, it's your brain. It's like, um, you know, what we think we draw to ourselves, basically. You know, I, I guess if, if you're really on a defense, you could probably say something like, ooh, let's think about this a minute. 
you know, and and kind of make light of it and say, you know, how can we go forward? Or, you know, again, making something a little bit like, okay, it looks like we need to rethink some of these strategies here. Exactly. Exactly. I think there's always two sides to every story or more, and um, and when we when we investigate that other side, as far as you know, qualities of, of a person standing in front of us or a situation, we can find that there are facts that support that this person is not so terrible as we might think, or not really attacking us as we think they're doing. Uh, but I think it's about the act of investigation. I had an incredible experience when I was in Chicago where. I was working as a local news reporter there. I got down to I got a call saying you had to head down to the scene. We this go to the south side. It was in this neighborhood where they're known for gangs, guns, drugs. There's trash on the street, burned out houses. And we get there, the police tape is already up. And I've been to a lot of crime scenes. I look around and I just knew this one was different. There were children standing on the other side of the police tape. And you just never see children. So I knew that something was really, really wrong. And we, uh, instead of grabbing the microphone and running down and finding out what was happening, I stepped back for a moment. A bullet had blown through the living room window of this house. Inside there was a birthday party. And the bullet had hit the birthday girl in the head. She was just 11 years old. Mm -hmm. I mean, completely devastating. So normally I would grab the microphone, go with the cameraman, ask them, the mother, how are you doing? I mean, obviously we know how she's doing, right? But we just need to interview her and get her on camera. And instead I, I looked at the scene, and at first all I could see was the devastation, this, this neighborhood that was not going anywhere, this community that had no hope. But then I asked to see it differently, I took a deep breath, and I could. There was a community that came together that rallied around to support this mother as she was going through this. So they had strong community ties. They had birthday parties for this little girl to try to give her a, a normal life with, with celebrations and friends. And I saw that there was potential in this neighborhood. So it was the exact same neighborhood. It was just how I was choosing in that moment to see it. So I think reality, what I'm seeing now, it's, it's a choice. It's just a it's a decision that we make ourselves, and it that guides how we then process reality. Um, so now, could you have I, I changed? Was, go ahead. It, being a reporter, could you have changed that around to the people that are listening and saying, you know, really emphasizing on the making the child happy with the birthday party and, and how this neighborhood came together? I mean, could you have focused on that? I because think too of, often. No, yeah, I think too often what happens is the focus becomes on the the travesty that occurred, the the murder, the sadness, the crying. Um, there's there's limited amount of time to tell the story, and so oftentimes the you know if it bleeds, it leads. That stuff makes it into the story. Um, but I think that oftentimes we miss the rest of it, and it's a shame um, because we know that it, through research even that optimistic story titles or the way we handle stories in a more optimistic way, those are more interesting to viewers. They want the solutions. They want to know what's next, in, as in this is just a jumping-off point. Where are we going? How can we change things? 
Um, people don't want to just look at it from a pessimistic standpoint, which I define pessimism as permanent and pervasive. So this murder would show us that this neighborhood is never going to change and every part of the neighborhood is impacted. When we look at it from well, an optimistic standpoint, we look at it differently. Well, we're projecting um, something on the neighborhood that's making it right. even worse instead of bringing this, right. you know, becoming a solution. Um have you thought about making a film on this particular, I mean, maybe going to neighborhoods or schools and, and you know, focusing on a positive solution during the film? That's a fantastic idea. I have not, um, I, I try to share this story every time I work with uh, organizations and groups, but I have not, um, have not started a, a film or anything. But there was, we met a really interesting filmmaker just recently who is trying to do something like this to show about how there's two sides to every story, but done in a, a new and unique way and from the perspective of positive psychology. Um, so maybe he'll he'll take the reins. Well, you know what led me to think about this is um, there's a film film on the Amish community that had someone come in and murder some uh, several children in the school, mm-hmm. and the Amish believe in uh, forgiveness. So they forgave the man who murdered the, the, their children. So the whole film was uh, actually going in and concentrating on the forgiveness part of it versus the murder. And that, I just thought that was you know, a really unique way of doing a film, yet that's what we need. Absolutely. So that led me to think that, boy, you could create a film just by this one story and, and blossom it out. Yeah, I, I was reading something the other day um, on one of the airlines about they have those magazines that they produce themselves, and there was this great article about this father who he had started two books, one for his daughter when when she was born, one for his son when he was born, and it was sort of going to be the rules that you must use to live your life. And he started making this rule book, and he thought, well, this is not very inspiring or interesting. And so he changed the premise of the book to be Heroes for My Daughter and Heroes for My Son. I've never seen these books, but they sounded fantastic in the article. And um, and he collected all these amazing stories about heroes that his children could aspire to be. What I loved about that was he was planting seeds of in their in his children's mind from an early age of, this is what you can be. I'm giving you stories and examples, as opposed to what we often see television filled with is stories of all the worst, the stuff that we can do to one another. You know, even cartoons <laughs> for children that they watch these cartoons and like the Roadrunner trying to, you know, it's just it's it's not very positive. <laughs> So when you go to corporations um, and talk, do you have ex- exercises for them to do? Or Yeah, absolutely. So one of the biggest things we talk about is uh, first you want to raise your levels of positivity inside you. You want to set your brain to positive. And the reason for that is that we see that in every domain of life, it helps you achieve more of your potential. We all have a band of our potential, and so a positive brain can scoot us up to the top of our band. 
And it's really, when I say in any domain of life, it's as a mother, a father at the office, it's a, a chef or a musician. So this really applies to anything that you're trying to do. Uh, so in order to do that, we recommend adopting one of three positive habits. And I suggest everyone, no one is forced to do it, but if they would like, they should adopt it for the next 21 days, do it one each day. Um, so, so they pick one of these three, either writing three things that they're grateful for and explaining also while writing it why. So not just I'm grateful for my health, but I'm grateful for my health because it allows me to play with my grandkids in the yard. And every day it should be three new unique things. So at the end of the 61 days you have 63 to look back on. Um, and it should be in written form. So maybe leave a Word document on your desktop or a journal by your bed, whatever you need to just make it into a routine. And what that does is it teaches us to start scanning the world to see things differently, to pick up on more of the positive stuff. Because I'll tell you, as soon as I do, if I haven't done it for a while, as soon as I do one day, all of a sudden my brain is looking for the things that I can add to the list the next day. Um, we see that in, in research that after 14 days, uh, people who rated themselves as depressed go up on the life satisfaction scale. So they rate themselves as less depressed. And after 21 days, we see an even greater increase. The reason why we say 21 days is that we would like um, to give time for the neural pathways to form. Neuroscientists have found that it takes at least 21 days to form a new habit and deepen that neural pathway enough that it, it becomes a, a behavior that will default to, more likely. Um, and then the other two positive habits that people can adopt is one is to journal for two minutes each day for 21 days on your most meaningful moment over the past 24 hours. So think back, find whatever was most meaningful to you, and write down every last detail you can remember, what you said, what the other person said, what you're wearing, what the weather was like. What we're trying to do there is get the brain to relive that meaningful moment. And then the last thing is to snap a positive picture. I know I'm a very visual person, hence why I probably was attracted to being broadcast news as opposed to written news. And so I, I value having pictures because, you know, they say pictures are worth a thousand words, but it's also a very quick and easy way to look back on something and sort of relive that moment. Um, so it's to snap a positive picture of the most meaningful moment over the past 24 hours or meaningful thing. Um, and if, the, if you do any of these positive habits with a spouse, um, they report that uh, they report you as more attractive even six months later um, than if you just do it alone. So you might want to buddy up with someone <laughs> and do it together. <laughs> well, plus um, I've heard about writing, having a grateful list at the end of the day. Um, I haven't done it for a while, but when I was doing it, um, I attracted more to me, more. Yeah. Uh, Wonderful things came my way. Yeah, so, absolutely. I, mean, I think that's a. Um, I, I could. I totally resonate with that because I think what's happening is our brain it's is uh, opening up to see all those possibilities, and then we are motivated by them. We move further towards them, and it just creates this cycle. So I absolutely resonate with that. So, are you saying that happiness can really be learned? 
it's a skill, I I truly believe. And I don't define happiness as uh, a momentary pleasure. I, I adopted the ancient Greek definition, which is happiness is striving after our potential. So that can really be our potential at anything. It really denotes a sense of growth, that we're expanding, that we're learning, that we're growing. Um, so, so you know, a lot of people have different definitions of happiness, but this is the one that seems to cro- cut across cultures and resonate with a lot more people. Well, I think making your heart smile, you know, it can be done quietly. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's like, you know, just um, feeling that energy of going, wow, that's really wonderful to see or whatever it might be, you know, even being thankful for a beautiful plate of food or, you know, just in in every aspect throughout your day, you know, picking out those particular ahas, you know, or gosh, you know, too bad I can't share this with someone right now or whatever, you know, it's just it's just um an energy of uh an energy that really allows you to want to smile, maybe, huh? Yeah. Now, in in the workplace, have you ever had the people, after they create their list, meet weekly or meet monthly to share what they were grateful for? What we're trying to do now is we're actually building um, a community that we'd like to, um, to launch with some of our clients because we're finding that um, with with motivation and sticking with these positive habits, it always helps to have a group of people that you're doing it with. It's like a book club. Um, so we always encourage companies to um, foster those kind of interactions, um, but we also recognize that oftentimes people are really busy and companies have lots of other goals beyond beyond this. So. We're trying to create a community right or a community space right now online where people can log on, they can interact with one another, they can set their goals and um, and and then win points and hopefully prizes for doing all of this good stuff. So so we'll see, but that that's something that's probably going to happen in the next six months or so. So if I mean, do people have to go be a student of yours to be able to be in this? The group that you're planning on doing, or can someone just like a listener join in with you? Yeah, um, the idea would be it would be that anyone can join in, and then so our corporate clients can just form groups am- amongst themselves if they'd like, and then but anyone could come in, join a team, get to know the other members on the team, or join with some friends, and and then do all these positive habits together. Well, even a woman's group could do that. Yeah, right. I mean, I think that would be that would be great because um yeah, it would be a great way to follow up with we give these these talks and people are so excited about it, but you know, I know I've been to talks where I want to keep the learning going, I want to continue doing stuff, and so that's what we're trying to offer. Now, how some, could someone get in touch with you if they wanted you to come to their company or their group or um the Easiest way would be to go to my website. Um, we have well, we have a bunch of websites for our company, um, but probably the easiest one is is mine, uh, michellegeelan.com, and it's G-I-E-L-A-N.com. And we have all the information. I posted some videos, and so people can get some free learning and 
kind of get into some topics. And then there's uh, there's in information about the e-courses that we offer, and then contact info. So if a, a school wanted you to come and talk to them, they could contact you through this also. Yes. In fact, I oh, I'm friends with a a lady who is. She's a grammar school teacher, but she's also in a group, and I don't know what this group is, but they, they're, the teachers are learning how to uh, inspire their children by being positive. So it seems like it's going to go along with what you're doing, so I'll, I will give her your website. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. So um, do you teach anything about negotiation? Um, not not negotiation in particular. We look about uh, at some of the stuff we talked about in regards to verbal and nonverbal communication, um, because I think oftentimes people in negotiation situations can send off messages through their nonverbal communication that's more powerful than what they're actually saying. So it's a so we try to help people just in general situations to build awareness about their levels of information transmission through their nonverbals. Uh, and also to realize that their brain and their body do connect and and to be aware of, of that connection and, and the information that's being sent. I, I know that I, my facial um, expression is much more than I'm aware of. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, it was just yesterday I was talking about something and I didn't think I was putting off that I didn't care for what I was talking about, and the uh, I was in a uh, woman's group, and and one lady said to me, "By the expression of your face, you do not like that." And I thought, "Whoa, I didn't know I did that." <laughs> I mean, I think there's something so nice about that because it shows an authenticity, uh, but sometimes it gives away our cards. I, I don't think we'd be good poker players if we're showing our, our cards <laughs> through our face. <laughs> now, do some. Uh, I would think maybe more so for the men than the women. When you go in and teach, do they feel vulnerable? I mean, do they kind of like um, only go on the surface of some of the things that you're teaching them? Because they're, if they go anything any more deeper, they might feel vulnerable. Did you ever come across that? Uh, I I think that there is some level of that I do feel that. If we do, for instance, a group discussion too early in the session, that there hasn't been an established level of trust yet, and so it doesn't work as well. But if we spend an hour going through some of these topics and talking about the new research and, and whatnot, and then we discuss, I think people just inherently feel more comfortable with, with the material, with one another, and then they share more deeply. Um, so I, I think it's just a growing process there, which I understand because, you know, we have we have not met before and they hadn't maybe been exposed to some of this stuff before. And maybe they're in groups where there's people from other divisions whom they don't even know. And, and I know that I've been in groups myself, and it takes me a while to warm up because I think I don't want to say anything. They're going to think what I'm saying is strange or weird. So I'm just going to sit here and be quiet. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm <laughs> so I'm sure that 
there, do you draw people in when you're working with them? Because you could probably spot the people that are sitting and thinking that. So in your exercises, do you draw them what in I to find make... amazing is um, sometimes there'll be someone sitting in the audience and we'll be talking, maybe I'm about half an hour into the material, and for instance, there was this one guy I remember, he had such a scowl on his face, and and he's kind of sitting front and center, so every time I scanned the room, I couldn't miss him. And <laughs> for a little while there, it was starting to impact me because I'm thinking, well, you know, other people are laughing or seem to be enjoying this or seem to be thinking about about this material and how it resonates with their lives, and then there's this guy. And <laughs> what he was, was probably forced was, to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was amazing was at the end of the talk, he came up to me, and with that same scowl, same very serious expression, he said to me, I really enjoyed this. Thank you very much, and walked away. And so what it told me was that while I might give away my actual feelings through my face, and like you, um, there's some people that you just really can't read them, and, and so not to worry too much about it and as long all I can do is is present this material and hope that they'll it'll work for them and for those that it does wonderful and for the rest you know they might just need to hear something else said in a different way or maybe they're not ready or maybe they're way past this who knows so is is your classes and lectures do they evolve throughout time yeah absolutely because um, in the beginning, it was more just the material itself, and now it's it's evolved thanks to so many people sharing these incredible stories um, into so uh, into more of a a living application. Um, I was just recently up in Canada. I spoke with the First Nations Healthcare um, Group, and these are a bunch of healthcare workers from um, all over the area. I think they were from the western side of the country. Uh, amazing, amazing people, mostly women, there were a few guys in the audience, shared these heartfelt stories about their communities and what they're struggling with. And, and, I mean, as healthcare workers, they are doing awesome work. And so because of that, you know, it's just more material to add to, to, to show these living examples of how when we have optimistic and resilient thinking patterns, we can overcome so much more to individually and as communities. Does one story stand out in your mind? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, one of the women was talking about uh, how I, I had been talking about language and how language can be so important. The d- word choice can sh- shift our opinions about things and nudge us in certain directions. I've seen we've seen this hundreds of times on the news or the way politicians will name certain laws or things that they're trying to pass in Congress. Instead of tax cuts, they'll say tax relief, and all of a sudden our brain feels differently about it. Uh, so we talked about that, and this, this woman who I'm guessing she must have been about 80 years old, she's been in the community her whole life, uh, she said, you know, our native language was one that had this kind of, um, like, positivity and warmth and welcoming imbued in it and it's unfortunate that you know a lot of people are we're losing the language because people are dying and and it's not being passed on but i would say hello and and welcome to you but i'll say it with one word and it implies all of that so it was it was beautiful
beautiful, the, the love and, and the expression that came from her um, through this story. Was she a Native American? I mean... Yeah, uh, na- yeah. well, I had originally said Native Canadian, but then I was told that it's um, now... They've changed their names as groups uh, no, a number of times over, even, I think, recently, like the last 30 years, but now they are referred to as First Nations. First Nations. Well, actually, Canada is America also, so yeah. we're, on, we're on the same continent. It's confusing. Yeah. I, always, I always try to, you know, be respectful, but I, I was, I, at first I got very confused, and then they were so nice, and they, they told me that all the stories and how that, you know, how they got their new names, and so. Yeah. Well, I think that, that maybe our um, Native Americans are using that also, First Nations. Oh. I, I've heard them refer to that, so maybe they're all starting to use that. But um, I would say that we could learn from the the older cultures. Yeah, definitely. Have, do you have any new projects on the um, horizon that have stemmed from the uh, courses that you've given? Um, well, one of the things that we work on is um, is investigative optimism, which is um, a strategy that we use, and it's largely based on the story that I told about the young girl who got shot at her birthday party and about seeing the reality differently. Um, we encourage people to, when they're faced with a stress, to rethink their relationship with stress in general and the, the thing that's causing them stress. So can they ask questions to find if there's a different side of the situation. If they're dealing with someone who's causing them stress, is can they look beyond the what's actually happening right in front of them and look at that person's motivation or that person's strengths or the way that that person has made them feel that's been positive in the last few weeks to change their relationship with those people and the stress. Because it, it goes back to just the way we process them and the reality um, that that creates for us. So if we can change our, our our set of facts about those people or those situations, then we stand a chance at changing our, our hearts and how we feel. I know it's um, stress is, you get so involved in the, the stress that it snowballs. Mm-hmm. It's like it's the, the more there is, the faster it goes and the more stress there is and the more stress there is. And it's, if we sit back, then we can stop that snowball from getting larger. I think well, I'm thinking if you had... Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Um, I was just thinking if, if someone had even a tiny manual in their hand that they could just, when they were under stress, they could say, oh, let me grab this, let me... Let me let me uh, give me a one two three process like, you know, how do you stop yourself and go forward um, in a process here to be able to to really hone in to how you're feeling and yet to stop you enough that you don't go forward in every other direction that's not going to assist you and support you making decisions, uh, healthy ones, you know, and um, because that definitely. So kind of a tool that would hold your hand in in walking forward. Um, You know, once you can kind of get 
something under your belt and in a sequence being able to support you you can adopt it more easily and um, so I, I was thinking you have so much daily material that you can just pluck from almost that that um, you must have your own little research cabin going, huh? Hey, it's fascinating. It is really interesting to see because we can come up with a research project like we're doing one right now looking at um, the impact news has, whether it's positive or negative, on our cognitive functioning. And, um, and we've teamed up with the University of Pennsylvania to, to do this research project. Um, I'm fascinated to see the results of it because I have my theories, but I'd like to see how a string of a montage of negative news impacts how well we do thinking tasks and positive news on the flip side. Um, I do think that stress and negativity, unfortunately, can become a habit. It can become a way of life. And there is some sort of rush that we get when we're stressed and the adrenaline mm-hmm. and cortisol flushes our system. Um, it's, it, uh, it can cause a, it can almost be addictive. And so some of the things that I would put in my toolkit, like you were talking about having some things, a go-to things that you can do, is that we teach attention training. We used to call it meditation, but I think a lot of people sort of then they know, ooh, what is what kind of meditation? Do I have to sit on a mountain hilltop and you know for for half an hour yeah. a day or three hours a day or whatever? Um, and so we started calling it attention training, and I think people felt much better about it. But what it very simply is is um, for two minutes each day, take your hands off your keyboard and just watch your breath go in and out. And we're breathing anyway, so we might as well just watch our breath go in and out. It's focusing our mind on a single thing, and it's combating this constant multitasking that we all do, our brain flitting from task to task. So if we're faced with a stress, that might be a good first step. It takes two minutes, it calms the entire body down, and it focuses our brain back on just our breathing. And then when we feel overwhelmed, a lot of the reason we feel overwhelmed is because we don't feel like we have the resources that we need to overcome the challenges that are before us. So I I often recommend to people, get out a piece of paper and write down what are your challenges that that you're looking at right now. What are your to-do lists, your big to-dos, or things that you're feeling stressed about? And then write a list of the resources that you have that you can use to overcome these challenges. I've got a great support system of family and friends who I can talk to about this and brainstorm with. I've got, um, you know, a hundred bucks in the bank that'll help me buy whatever I need to to do this. Whatever it is, if you can if you can make that list of resources longer and bigger, then you're going to feel as if the challenges are not so in, insurmountable. Um, so that's one of the things I recommend. And do you have them prior to their list? Yeah, because we, our brain loves to catastrophize. It loves to make things way bigger than they are. You know, oh, I've got, yesterday I had to, I was writing a proposal working with one of my colleagues and I had promised it to him the night before, but I just, it didn't get done. So I'm sitting there yesterday and I think, wow, I have to do this and it's just going to take me forever and oh, I have to do this piece and how is this going to get done? I was stressing, and then I, but then 
I actually ended up just saying, you know what, let's put these feelings aside and let's just do it. Let's do an experiment and see how long it actually would take. It took me an hour. So it wasn't, it was my brain that was making it bigger than it is. So we can shrink that down if we prioritize what are the things that we really need to get done today and what resources do we have to attack them, we'll feel better about them and that will help get us unstuck and moving forward. And it always makes me feel better when I have a list and I can cross something out. I mean, it's a a feeling of accomplishment. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Now, what if somebody has a list so long? (laughs) Do you do... Tell them not to make a huge long list to try to make it shorter. Is that does that help? Well, one thing we have to be careful about is not to be a, have a task oriented mind. Um, and what I mean by that is that we make a list, we do some stuff, we cross off some stuff, and then whatever we didn't finish at the end of the day, we just import it to the next day. Um, if we're there, there's another way to look at it instead and make it a meaning based mindset. If we look at those items, we can have basically the same list, but we see the meaning behind each of those action items. How is it impacting other people? What is this doing to uh, help my company or my career? Um, Is By doing this, I'm going to be paid, and so then I can take that money home to to feed my kids and to take them on a trip or something like that. So if we can see the meaning behind it, then it makes it a meaning-based mindset, and the task list doesn't look so daunting, our whole mindset has shifted around it. And do you ever tell people to give themselves rewards after they've, you know? Yeah, rewards are huge. I always subscribe to that. (laughs) I think it's great. (laughs) Um, Because if if we're just slogging away at all of the things we have to do and we're not having any fun, then that, again, goes back to not priming our brain for positivity and and not seeing that there's nodes of meaning throughout our day. So absolutely, whatever it is, and it can be something so small, uh, a walk with a friend or a conversation or a cup of coffee with um, you know your husband or something like that, but just taking time out and saying, wow, this is a reward for the five hours of work that I put in this afternoon on this particular project. I'm, you know, I'm giving myself a pat on the back. <laughs> well, let's uh, give out your website one more time for the people so that they would like to contact you or have their company contact you. Sure. Um, it's com. That's G-I-E-L-A-N. Was there any last... Um, message you want to send out to our listeners? I think that the most important thing I always try to uh, focus on is um, we are in charge of our realities. We make a choice every single day, every single moment of how we want our lives to be. And when we think about that, we realize the power that we have. And so I encourage everyone to, as they move throughout their day today, to identify the things that they're grateful for, the things that provide meaning in their life, and the people that have really made a positive impact on them, and then see about training your brain to fall into that pattern more regularly because happiness is a choice and 